We're doing Joshua, yeah. right? Yeah, hell yeah. Okay, that's what I read. Okay, good. I don't have anything to drink. Oh, uh, you know what? I thought I was going to win the Weak Tea Award because I'm actually drinking Weak Tea. <laughs> <laughs> drinking Celestial Seasonings, and it hasn't brewed yet. Because I have a sore throat, as you can probably hear. Yeah. I have the same problem. So I'm drinking coffee, but it's a very strong coffee. When do you sleep? I don't sleep. I sleep as little as possible. If I could sleep, like, an hour a night, I'd be happy. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad thing. Uh, Okay. So this this is going to be a little weird, but I was hoping to start tonight by playing you guys a couple segments from other shows just to... um, just to start things off, because it, um, well, you'll see. It'll, it'll focus the discussion a bit right up front. Just genocide, question mark. Wrestling with religious violence in the Old Testament, and Dr. Chris Wright joins me now. Good morning to you, Chris. Let's start with the big question. Is genocide described in the Bible? I wouldn't want to use the word genocide, uh, because genocide... Ex- uh, tends to express something which is done in a very arbitrary way, either for ethnic cleansing or for um, or a very deliberate gain. way. Yes, uh, the, the the reason why genocide is used is because, of course, it does include, as you said, uh, the killing of many people. What's described in the Bible uh, has a number of dimensions to it. On the one hand. There is undoubtedly a a rhetoric of warfare in the ancient world as in the modern world which nearly always exaggerates reality on the ground. Um, It's a well-known phenomenon even today. I mean, I might say that yesterday uh, Ulster slaughtered the Italians in the Heineken Cup. Uh, Nobody takes that word other than more than a metaphor. Um, It's well known that in the ancient world that the same kind of very hyperbolic language was used in an exaggerated way to describe the way one nation attacked another. Let's take an example of this as a kind of a a, a case study. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I'll read this uh, two-verse passage from 1 Samuel 15. This is what the Lord Almighty says, quote, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they... um, waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now, those are words put into the mouth of the Lord Almighty in this text. The text is describing a a war against the Amalekites who had waged war against the Israelites previously. It's the language of what is in Hebrew called cherem, which was the uh, religious devotion of um, people and things and property in the context of description which had in the previous generation been described as justice against the nation for its violence. We would call it ethnic cleansing, wouldn't we? I think we wouldn't. Well, we might in our modern world, but I think... Totally wipe out people and destroy everything, including their land and their animals. That's ethnic cleansing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, (laughs) okay. What about ethnic cleansing? I don't want to uh, call it was... uh, genocide. No, no, you don't want to call it that. That was from BBC Radio <laughs> Ulster. BBC Radio Ulster's Everyday Ethics Program. Uh, William Crawley was the one interviewing the uh, Old Testament scholar Chris Wright, giving some incredibly weak excuses. Yeah, we're, so we're supposed to, to read, put them to the sword as, like, football? Well, yeah, apparently by kill them all... God only meant kill most of them and leave some of them living in Jerusalem and thereabouts. 
killed, but he was like, That's well, when we say so-and-so slaughtered so-and-so, we don't really mean it. It's an exaggeration. So, right, it's not the Roman gladiatorial games, it's soccer. Right, they're playing badminton or something? Yeah. cricket, and who knows. <laughs> but yeah, that's um the language of, of Hiram. Uh, Paul, did you get to yeah. see that? The thing on, on the Hiram? Yes. Which, yeah, the link you sent right, me. Right, which, you know, in, in Hebrew, it's Hiram. In uh, Arabic, I believe it's Jihad. In English, I, I think it's Crusade or Holy War. <laughs> it's, it's all essentially the same concept. You get to kill as indiscriminately as you want because God told you you should. No, actually, you don't get to kill indiscriminately. You are ordered to kill everybody. Right. <laughs> right, indiscriminately would mean you could indiscriminately spare some, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> you must kill quite deliberately. Right. I am walking that back even now. So that's, uh, you can see why I picked that uh, for tonight, because Joshua is basically the story of Haram, how, how are we going to go in and and kill all these uh, Canaanites and Jebusites and Malachites and uh, the otherites, you know, those guys. I would say that's the entire Old Testament. <laughs> well, yeah, but this is really where it hits the hits the road. I mean, this is the story of them coming into the Promised Land with, uh, with the edge of the sword. But, I mean, that's it, right? That It's just the problem is that these people already live there. I mean, they haven't done anything else, have they? Uh, well, if, if you ask the biblical scholars, yes. They'll say that... The, the real problem is that these peoples were sinful and pagan and uh, they offended God with their polytheism and their idolatry and that Israel was just an instrument for their punishment. That's exactly what the apologists would say. I'm just going to say that's not like genocide. Why? Uh, it's exactly like genocide, except okay. except that you believe God told you to do it. Right. What are you going to do? Yeah. I believe that's what a lot of psychopaths say. Well, I think I think most of the great mass killings uh, in history were done in the name of some uh, faith-based ideology, whether that's Maoism or Kimism or uh, Stalinism or, in this case, Judaism. Uh, you know, there's some ism that's saying, go forth and kill everyone in the name of the faith and forget the consequences and forget your natural impulses to pity people. And, in fact, if you give in to those impulses, then you're in trouble. Right, yeah, there's there's been a few verses against that, haven't there? <laughs> <laughs> Have you left the women alive? Incredulous. That was my Moses impression, sorry. No, it was good. I'll see if I can't find the part where Charlton Heston actually said that on screen. <laughs> oh, wait, they cut that part out. Yeah. There's a lot of killing. I would cut that out, too. I think that the bits they cut out would make for one hell of an action movie, actually. <laughs> uh, amoral, but very exciting. <laughs> well, they don't mind making movies like that about other ancient traditions, but they won't do it with, with this one. Cause... Right, which, uh, which brings me to the, the comparison to jihad. I mean, I've been, I've been also reading through the Quran and, and, and some of the Hadith, and basically what I can tell is the parallel is so strong as to be overwhelming. I mean, basically God said, you know, you've got to kill these polytheists because they're not worshipping me, right? And you go in and you conquer them, and if they submit, they, they can convert, you know? So basically... Uh, they're saying, go take the go take these lands, and you're authorized to do it because God said it's not murder, not in this case, and you know go forth and conquer in the name of God. And, and there are those who try to argue that jihad is very different than harem, but uh, I'm not buying it. I think they're pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. I I would definitely agree with that. That they're pretty, because it's it is essentially the same thing. Whereas it's you just. 
you want to hear an argument that they're different? Uh oh. I've got one more clip I want to play for you guys, and I swear no more clips. I cannot. It is difficult for me to put my finger on exactly what is different between uh, jihad and harem and the spirit of the Israelites and the spirit of of the fundamentalist uh, Muslims. But it strikes me that there is a sense in which Islam is is very this-worldly. They believe in heaven. They believe in an afterlife. But there's something about the whole spirit of it that's very this-worldly. Okay, that's, that's all I'm going to play from Professor David Crabtree of Gutenberg College, who fails to point out that the Hebrews did not believe in an afterlife when they were conquering the Promised Land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they did, however, believe in keeping the gold and the silver and the precious metals and depositing them into the treasury of the Lord. Did you guys catch that part? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, That's very important. I don't mean to say that they were being this worldly about the, um, the precious <laughs> metals, but, you know, as I said before, the priests shall get theirs. That's a major theme. Isn't just... Isn't even the idea of killing people for land kind of this worldly? <laughs> well, those global warming people, they're this worldly. It, it, it's literally this worldly because it's like you right. want more of this world to live on this, for yourself. This patch of ground. In <laughs> this yeah, it's very earthly, quite literally earthly. Oh, man. So those are the, the biblical professors, uh, and they'd like to say that their holy war is different because God really said it was okay. In this. Genocide, that's okay. cool. <laughs> I think we established it's not really genocide. Oh, right, because it's harem. It's a totally different thing. <laughs> it's not ethnic cleansing. It's a geographical cleansing. Yeah. You know, I've heard some really funny... Uh, that I've heard some really funny attempts to walk that back. Like, well, it's not genocide because God's killing them because they're sinful, not because they're other kinds of ites. Like, okay, but did God ever say to spare any other ites? Or did he... And he named them all by ethnicity. Kill these ones, those ones, and the other ones. Mm-hmm. All these different ites. Uh, and, and he doesn't say, you know, leave the righteous ones alive. <laughs> don't talk I, about that. I really... I could be way off base here, but I really thought that it had a lot more to do with that the land was promised to the Israelites, and it just happened that all these other ites were on there, and... It's not exactly like they're going to up and run off on their own. So I, yeah. what other choice did they have? Well, to quote Shelley, is he magic or isn't he? Uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, valid point. I, I mean, if this is really God, the God that we think is so all-powerful, he could just make them all drop dead, or better yet, rapture them to like the fourth heaven where they don't get as good a heaven as other people do. Right? Or move or, them to... Please. Or yeah, send it to Australia or something. You know? Right. Jedi mind trick. You do not want these lands. Move to freaking Bermuda. <laughs> Wave a hand over his face. So you think he just goes around life saying, ah, that's really, you're focusing way too much on this world. I could help um, help out the habitat for humanity, but that's that's too much focusing on helping this world. It's very this worldly. I don't, I don't know if I can, I, if, I, if that's, that's part of my lifestyle. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, a, it's a very odd argument. I don't know, but but I want to get I want to get back to the to the book of Joshua. I just I just kind of wanted to to focus for a bit on these different ideas of holy wars: the Hebrew concept of holy war, the Islamic concept, and we haven't touched on the Christian concept. But you know, we can get to that later when Jesus tells everyone to go to war. 
sell your cloak and buy a sword. You remember that part. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Joshua. What do you guys got from Joshua? I've, I've told you the, the one theme that I found most uh, interesting and emergent from this book, and that's the, the theme of uh, Holy War. My favorite part was when they kept on divvying out lands to like a million people. That was uh, like, that was some gripping spellbinding. Holy crap! Yeah. How much space could we have saved with a map on that one? Yeah. <laughs> one map. <laughs> that would have even just a chart. Yeah, a chart. <laughs> Bruce linked to a map uh, somewhere uh, on nope. the on the interwebs, and I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. That would have really saved us a few pages of effort. Yeah. Right, like the last <laughs> five chapters. Yeah, well, not the last five, but. But it must have been very important to these people. So, you know. God. What? Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the, who gets which, which land is very important? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, They're well, so disworldly, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have to tie it back to that. For the time period, that is. I mean, that's where your inheritance comes from. That's where your livelihood comes from. Unless you're you a know. priest, and your livelihood gets comes from the tithing and the precious metals. and the Right, but even the priests depend on them. They they still need to have land and still need to be productive. Otherwise, I mean, right, right, you're right. Absolutely, there's only they're only one step removed from from right. the grazing land itself. Yeah, sorry. I think land is more important than even virgins. I mean, uh, there's a lot oh, about this book that, of virgins, too, but you can't say that. Nothing's more important than virgins. Just <laughs> just going by the numbers. Hmm. Well. They are presumably killing a lot of virgins and taking oh, yeah. a lot of land. See? Except they're getting a little bit you something have with their virgins. With the heart of gold. Oh, you know, now that you mention it, um, are they allowed to keep the virgins alive in this book, or is no? Doesn't the concept of haram mean that you're just not allowed to, to keep anything other than possibly the precious metals? Right. I thought it was everything that doesn't get burned up in a fire. Yeah. So. Everything has to. Yeah. Exactly. Precious everything metals. has to be. Uh, haram means uh, either uh, consecrated or destroyed or both at the same time. You're you're sacrificing it to God through fire. Yeah, exactly. that's a great way to think the about life. With well, the heart of gold gets saved. Say that again. The hooker with the heart of gold. Oh, yes, she does. oh, good, good link back to the precious metals and the the prostitute at the same time. A, yeah, nice tie-in. Uh, I'm not sure what the moral of that story is, other than if you're spying out a new city. And the first thing you do is go to a whorehouse, cover your tracks well, <laughs> integrate it into the holy narrative, and you'll be fine. But they have been in the wilderness for like 40 years, so, you know. Hey, <laughs> people have needs. That's right. Especially spies. They are only of this world. <laughs> right. So, yeah, do you guys have any comments on the story of Rahab? That's one of our, our classic Sunday school stories that we've all heard before. Well, I mean, I wonder if, I mean, there's a long tradition of sacred prostitution. Mm-hmm. It shows up in Gilgamesh too. I just, I, I don't know if that, I don't know if there's a connection there or not. That, it, but it's weird that it's a prostitute, or maybe it's not weird. I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know. Well, I guess it's the one place you can you can count on uh, as a spy that um, everyone around you is going to try to pretend like they're not watching you go into the house. Discretion is to be expected among the clientele. Right. <laughs> So. And it won't seem it won't seem out of the ordinary, so people won't check up on you. Right. It's like there's some guy who's trying to cover his face, go into the whorehouse. Well, what's new? Yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. yeah. So she puts the red cord in her window, right? Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Although I'm not sure. I'm sure it has some like really deep meaning that I'm missing, but 
I missed it though. Sorry. Well, I mean, it it isn't it okay? So this violates the the covenant, right? This violates the the order to kill everybody. Uh, A side deal with her and her family that Yahweh's uh, not in on. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know, like, when Yahweh's going to say, you know, that was good thinking, and when he's going to say, hey, that's strange fire, I don't take that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, he's kind of an unpredictable guy. Yes. So, yes. occasionally, what you did Volatile. was, you know, yeah, some, somewhat of a volatile deity. A bit uh, uh, bipolar, one might say, in modern parlance. I mean, I, I guess you could say that, that oaths, you know, become a big deal. I mean, are once again revealed to be a big deal. Like, they make a promise to her, so they have to keep it, even if they really weren't supposed to. I don't know. Does the, the, does the text suggest whether or not they were supposed to? I didn't read any commentaries that made it seem forbidden. No, it just sort of seems like it should be, because they get told over and over again to not leave anybody alive. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it is emphasizing uh, the, the oaths uh, aspect of it. Oh, where is it? Yeah, I don't think... I was scanning it trying to see if God was actually involved in that. Uh, the stories in Joshua 6. It appears in 22 that Joshua actually commands the two men... Um, or commands the two men that to go bring out the woman as you swear unto her. But I didn't see anything in there particularly about that God had anything to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. They have to keep the deal with that other weasel too later. The one, You've lost right? I, yeah, oaths are very important. What was his name? It's in my notes. But he sort of tricks them into making the promise. But who's the they Gibeon? The I mean, no, you mean I the Bible know. Society? I doubt that they existed back then. <laughs> the Gibeons? Oh, no. oh, I must have misunderstood you. Yeah, they it's could... in chapter nine, according to my notes. Yeah, the treaty with the Gibeonites, where they come in. What do they say? It's like... We don't live here. Right. We're, yeah, from, we're far, from far, far away. See, our clothes are all worn out. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was another... Uh, yeah, you have to uphold your oath even to prostitutes and Gibeonites. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, yeah that, that totally counts as a theme. I think uh, two, two hits is a, is a running theme, but we'll probably see more. Well, oaths and covenants are very important. Okay, now you know. Now that I'm looking, there are there are a lot of there's a, oaths show up a lot in this book, chapter two, chapter six, chapter nine, uh, solemn oaths before the Lord. Yeah, right on. Okay, definitely thematic element. Sorry, I missed that. Even if they're made like with the Gibeons and in yeah, yeah, or not in good faith. You right? You well. The Jerichoites were, were all tagged for total destruction, but you make a promise to one of them. Mm-hmm. The Jerichoans? I don't know. Right. What's, the, what's the demonym for Jericho? I have no idea. Jericho? Dude, uh, I'm not... I'll just stop. Now, doesn't Jericho still exist to this day? Does it? Doesn't it? Well, there's lots of archaeology going on there. Is that all that's going on there? It, it's not no. like an actual... It's not a city. I think it's still a city. I think it's still a city. I don't Come think it's, on, like, man. a major town. I know, thing. I had a whole thing, but I don't, I don't know what's going on today. Did you have a degree in archaeology at some point? <laughs> I actually did a little uh, report over Jericho, because I was interested in the walls, you know. And... Oh, yeah, they're totally a city. They have a municipal seal. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this. 
founded in 9000 BCE, approximately. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Uh, apparently, there's something about where it's situated that makes people want to have a city there. Um, well, that's what you find all over civilizations. That's why it tells, you know, old civilizations are built on top of other mounds of dirt, and so... Aren't there, like, eight layers where Troy would have been? Yeah. Like it's, it's like that everywhere. They go away, it burns down, and like, hey, this is a good place to be. Let's talk... Wait, mm-hmm. who was here before? Well, you know what else happened in that scene with the Gibeonite guys is that they tra- they give them food, and then, then you really can't kill them. But, see, I don't understand because... The prostitute gave them, but the get these guys gave him like old wine and crap, you know. Victuals. It was hot when we when we started off, but you know now it's just this crap. We used to yeah. take it, and they did. Yeah, because that that seals the bond. This all these ancient people have that guest host law stuff going on. So once you mm-hmm. trade food with people, then you're not supposed to. You're cursed if you kill. Them. Yeah. Even if it's bad food. Yeah. So you're saying Lot, instead of offering his virgin daughter, should have just thrown out our d'oeuvres? <laughs> <laughs> I no. offer you finger foods! Now stop raping us! Hey, taquitos would stop me from just about anything. <laughs> <laughs> Even my sexual appetite cannot stand before the taquito. That's right. <laughs> oh, well, you win that bet. I didn't think you'd ever manage to get that reference in there, but there it is. I guess the next thing chronologically would be the long day of war. Oh, yes! I love that because I have a degree in physics. (laughs) (laughs) And let me tell you, if you stop the Earth from rotating, you're going to have to abrogate a whole bunch of other natural laws at the same time. Just to keep everything from flying off. I uh, I thought Shelley already said that God was magic. Well, Didn't we decide that? Thank you. Uh, evidently, he's not magic enough to make Jebusites vanish from Jerusalem because well, they are still there unto this day, as we saw in the book. But he can magically stop an already um, stationary sun. I mean, he's really good at that. Yeah. I don't think the sun's stationary. It is moving. I mean, our whole solar system's moving. Okay, that's true. So he said, hey, it's... Well, but it would stop to them. It, wouldn't, it would never stop from our perspective. That means the Earth stopped rotating. In the, from the modern right. scientific perspective, which was, makes it such a fantastic, magical miracle. It's like, yeah. it seemed like a big miracle when they wrote it, but they had no idea how big it really was. Because <laughs> they didn't know that the Earth is actually rotating, and that if you stop it rotating, all the mountains fly off, and there's molten everything everywhere. And, you know, I suppose that if we were wanted to be generous, that could be poetic. Um, yeah, you know, I guess we, we could be generous. Um... That's sort of playing into the whole, like, well, it's hyperbole, it's metaphor kind it's of thing. It's metaphor, yeah. Yeah, which I always find it more persuasive from Bible scholars, Jewish or Christian Bible scholars, whenever they can say it's metaphorical and rabbis believed this before we learned about science. Yeah. Because then it's like, oh, you're saying that it was interpreted as metaphorical 2,000 years ago? Well, then maybe you're right. Maybe it was always meant that way from its original writing. But yeah. if it was thought to be literal right up until we discovered science, and then suddenly these liberal theologians come along and say, oh, that's a metaphor. Or, you know, right, right up until we, we decide that slavery is bad. And, oh, well, that's a metaphor. You know, <laughs> genocide is bad. Well, that was a metaphor. You know, if you toss it out that late in the game, you don't get any credit. Well, no, and then you still, so now how are you going to convince me God's magic? Because it's just a metaphor. I don't know. I mean, I, 
I, I tend to, to subscribe to uh, the idea that these miracles are meant to be taken as miracles, as genuine miracles. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's no worse. I mean, yeah. I'm. I was trying to be nice, but it. Yeah, I mean, it's no more of a miracle for the sun to stand still than it is for this god to exist at all. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, but in terms of like raw number of natural laws abrogated, I think this takes it. I don't think you can beat this one for the rest of the book. You yeah, know, coming back from the dead is like relatively easy compared to that. I can imagine alien species reviving human corpses with enough technology to get everything right back in place and pumping again. I cannot imagine alien species stopping the Earth from rotating, however powerful they are. I don't even think Doctor Who could do that. Oh, sure he could. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> I take it back. I, I, I could be wrong, but in terms of raw miraculous power, I think this takes it. No, it's a big deal. You're right. The cake has been taken. Perhaps you wouldn't have to actually stop the world from spinning. Perhaps you could just stop the progression of time for for everything outside of where the battle was going on. Okay, that that to me, uh, given uh, the general relativistic entwining of space and time, counts as an even bigger miracle. <laughs> now we're, now I, I was... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, now we're basically writing fan fiction. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, should so do it. that. Bible fanfic. Oh, we might be the only people who care enough about the Bible and don't care enough <laughs> about it at the same time <laughs> to make that work. Atheist Bible fanfic. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see how we redo Chapter 5 in the Hill of Four Skins. That would be interesting. You know, come to think of it, isn't that exactly what uh, Philip Pullman did with his last book? Kind of. Yeah, that was Bible fanfic, really. Yeah. Uh, uh, hmm. I refer the dear listener back to our episode on that book. In any case, did um, sorry, back in Joshua ten thirteen, where the sun is standing still and the moon is staying, I I noticed that it said that they avenged themselves upon their enemies. And is this not written in the book of Yashir? Or oh yeah yeah yeah. I'm not real sure on how to pronounce that. In any case, I've done a, some research on that, which is actually kind of an interesting story. Give me the, the chapter verse again, please. Is 1013. Thanks. The book is also mentioned in Second Samuel. Yeah, yeah. the book of Jashar, yeah. Joshua, okay. I, yeah. I don't know how to say it. I, I, I love the idea that the Bible is actually citing its sources here. It's like yeah. it's footnoted. Like this, this miracle story came from the book of Jashar, right? Yeah. Which I'm sure you all have a copy of now. <laughs> well, actually, that was the thing. It, it's considered one of the lost texts of the old Hebrew writings, and I guess sometime they found a text that is. It, it's somewhat debated on whether or not it's it's actually like a text of it, or if somebody made it, or what have you. But it, it's actually kind of interesting. There's like ninety something chapters. And it kind of covers, it's it's very intertwined with the Bible. Some people say that it was actually supposed to be the first book of the Bible. Oh, wow. Uh, which is very interesting. Yeah, there's it's actually on archive.org. Oh, rock. Uh, That's where this can... podcast is hosted. Oh, is it? Okay. F, yeah. It's uh, Safir Hayashir, or I, I have no idea how to say it. But I guess if you just search the book of J-A-S-H-E-R, 
uh, you should be able to find it. And there's actually translated from original Hebrew into English in 1840. And it has a really interesting uh, intro and then like translator note. There's 10 or 15 pages at the beginning of it where it talks about the history of the book and the translation and everything else. But sorry, random aside there. No, it's not random. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's fascinating because, I, first of all, if this is the canon, like the words of God, why are they footnoting themselves? Why are they referring to other books? And and if, if and if it's an open canon, if indeed God revealed other things, like say the Book of Jeshar, how come there wasn't a stir when it came about and like Christians and Jews trying to incorporate it into the canon? Well, it's interesting. Actually, the opposite happened. It seems to have been suppressed a couple of times. Well, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> what could have possibly been the motivation of? Uh... Except the Mormons, they they seem to like it. For real? Yeah. Huh. Actually, the first page that I found was one, what is actually a, a Mormon website that posted stuff on it. And I was like, what? And a friend of mine, I was discussing with it online, he, he was like, oh yeah, it's fake and it's Mormon. I was like, are you sure? And then so I've been reading about it. I only wish that I had actually researched it more than just yesterday and today, so I could have actually read part of it, because I've only yeah. read the first two chapters, but... Well, maybe after we finish the Bible, uh, assuming that we still have a head of steam and we just want to keep going, <laughs> we can go back. <laughs> we, can, we can start digging into these extra canonical books. Oh, I will uh, parallel read it or something, and if anything interesting comes in that ties in, I'll let you know. Dude, I just want to get out of Old Testament, honestly. Well, you got a ways. You got a ways. Yeah, we got a Samuel and Kings are actually pretty cool. I was going to say, I like the Old Testament past the first couple of books. Yeah, this is where it starts getting interesting. I think, but it, it gets a bit a bit less nasty oh. after this. That's kind of nice, right? And the morality tales start having morals to them that I can like kind of grok and be like, yeah, that yeah, that makes sense, kind of. Yeah, like I wouldn't let her cut my hair either. <laughs> yeah. So kill everybody who isn't just like you. That one's not working for you. Um, it, it kind of works for me. I do work for the military, after all, but <laughs> it's, um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's a bit iffy. Yeah. And, uh, I, I you know, I, li- I tried to give the apologists a fair hearing. You know, I looked a few of them up. I wanted to hear what they had to say about it, and man, whew, that makes my uh, celestial seasonings look like really strong coffee next to their weak tea. <laughs> weak sauce. Yeah, very extra weak sauce. Sorry. Well, I'm sad that we passed over uh, chapter five well, well, with the uh, circumcision, right? The the hill of foreskins. Oh, yeah, like hey, it's getting a little shaggy. It's been uh... <laughs> <laughs> time for a trim. <laughs> a bit shaggy. What? <laughs> the hill of foreskins. I know it would have been a lot uh, smooth if we had done this when you were born, but you know. That was it. actually. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say you. that. That was actually my question. Was was it actually like a, an additional trim, or no, no, were people not circumcising their kids? Was, the, the they weren't being circumcised. Is that they, yeah, they, they'd give okay. up in the wilderness. I guess maybe it's they just forgot or something. I don't know. Yeah, this is the next generation after the ones that were. Yeah. yeah. The ones that like were, they were too busy the, being lost to cut off their foreskins. Right. <laughs> yeah. They were like that. It does seem a little strange that they piled them all up. You know how you know how there's lots of places in America that are named after Bible um, 
sites and Bible cities and stuff. I mean, you've driven around, you've seen that, right? Mm-hmm. God, that would rule if there was, like, Hill of Foreskins, <laughs> Nebraska. <laughs> I would so go. Even if it was South Dakota, I would go. The Hill of Foreskins Cafe. Yeah, uh, just absolutely classic place names. Need a trim? <laughs> a bit shaggy. <laughs> That's terrible. Indeed. I've never laughed so much at genital mutilation in my life. <laughs> yeah, it's a real knee slapper. <laughs> so I just thought it was a shame that we would pass over it like that. Oh, so, no, I'm glad, I'm glad you... Yeah. Also, I have an additional note on Chapter 5, and the end of it, where he fights with... Also, the mana ceases, which is interesting. Yeah. But there at the end, isn't that where he has his interaction with the commander of the army of the Lord, whoever that is. Oh, yeah, that angelic uh, stranger. Verse 14, right. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of creepy. Tells him to take off his shoe. Right. Right. Yeah, we've heard that line before. (laughs) Right. What does this mean? But as a captain of the host of the Lord? Captain of the angels? Yeah, the host is like a a battle formation, you know? And the captain of the host is like in... uh, it's like a platoon leader or something like that, a little higher up than that. You know, Captain the Host, it's the guy in charge of the, the Army of Heaven. Oh, okay. okay. Which is why uh, we see immediate groveling after he figures out who it is he's dealing with. I just thought maybe there was a host, the Lord had a host, you know. Like, uh... Like that greets you at the Outback? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Hostess of Heaven. <laughs> or someone's accommodating the Lord, you know. Someone's accommodating. He's the host. Oh yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It just seems weird. Like Larry on Mr. Deity. Yeah. Yeah. He's more like the assistant of the Lord, but you know. <laughs> all right. So continuing, there's lots of lists of all of the people who got killed. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Smoting. Yeah. If there's any way to make. Uh, Genocide, boring, they really, they figured it out. Yeah, I know, like, blase. Yeah, 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 kill all these guys, and then all these guys. (laughs) I have to know, is it understood that these are small city-states and not full nations? Uh, I take that as red. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I was just, sorry. That is right, that is right, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Add. I was thinking because it says, or does it say nations? I, I guess from my hearing these stories growing up in a Christian household, you think, oh, there's these big armies, and Joshua came in and won, and there was these great battles and all of this. And then when I was reading it, and it was saying, okay, there was this king that we smote, and there was maybe this city and one more. And then this king, and then one city, and then this king. And so I'm, I don't know, I think whenever I hear the word king, I think, like, king. You know, crown and a huge palace. Yeah, you're thinking, you're thinking nation state, you're not thinking city exactly, state. That's, exactly, exactly. Yeah, right. And so when I read through it this time, I was like, you know, these are probably, I think more Viking king and less, you know, medieval king, I guess. I don't well, know. I think that's about right. Um, yeah. There were empires. There were genuine empires back then, and when we get to like the Book of Daniel, we'll see those. Well, yeah. I mean, there was Egypt and right. 
But well, yeah, come to think of it, we've already seen one figuring in the second <laughs> book pretty strongly. And the Syrians and yeah, so there, it's not like there weren't major, massive political units back then, but that's not what these were. Uh, right. In this Maybe I wonder. Sort of more like Greek city states. Yeah. Yeah, except without the uh, highfalutin ideas of democracy and shit. Right, none of that <laughs> shit going on. Yeah, I wonder if that played into why they, when they decided to settle, that they decided to settle this area. Like strategically, that makes a lot more sense. That you would want to take places that were individualized and not united under one giant nation, like say Egypt or the Syrians or the Babylonians. It would be much more difficult to take on a country like that. Or it would be much easier to go on a one-by-one one killing spree through a bunch of city-states. Women and children, essentially. Yeah. I'm right. going to I'm gonna break Godwin's law here, and I'm sorry. But uh, you have to remember, in World War II, uh, the Nazis, they went after the small, weak nations first. They, they went in, they annexed Austria outright, they <laughs> did, pulled a bloodless coup in Czechoslovakia by making it seem like there was going to be a war for independence there. There wasn't going to be. But they, you know, they went in there, marched in, and, and basically, and then they went after Poland, which um, it turned out was incredibly weak militarily. So they went after one small nation after after another, and all along the way, England and France are like, oh, that's no good. Please don't do that again. <laughs> uh, it, it, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a time-tested strategy, and it has worked even in the 20th century. You can gobble up these tinier uh, nation-states until somebody finally stands up to you. But you can make yourself feel really good if you tell yourself and all your people that this is God's land that he gave to you and it's rightfully yours and you should take it. See, it sounds, it, it sounds more American to me. Like, it's very manifest destiny. Oh, there you go. Trying to blame America first just because we killed all those engines. <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, there's already people here. Sucks for you. Yeah, at least we, we actually did have locusts going before us. And by locusts, I mean germs. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think there's a stronger case to be made uh, for uh, divine intervention in the case of the Americas because there was a genuine massive epidemic which which kind of cleared the way. Uh, which I, I don't know. Somehow, epidemics seem divine to me. Is that wrong? Uh, <laughs> yes. It, it just it feels more <laughs> miraculous than when you have to actually use your own hand with your own sword. That that doesn't feel miraculous at all. It feels very mundane. There was plenty of killing, though. Even into the 1800s, they were killing Indians and taking their land in California. So uh, I'm not saying there wasn't plenty of killing. I'm saying that of the millions of people who died, the bulk of them died from disease. That's true. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Wiped out the Tainos and just like... <laughs> My people. Nothing. My people. Like, very, yeah, uh, your people, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got beef against Columbus. Yeah, we got. We, uh, the only ones that survived were the ones that you know uh, were already taken in by uh, Spaniards during the time-tested "keep the virgins alive for yourselves" technique, which they did. Just doing what the good Lord showed them what worked. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I I hesitate to draw a comparison between. Manifest Destiny and uh, or or the, the, the Conquistadors and, and the Bible, but I mean, we've just read that if God says you can do this, it's okay and as long as you believe that God told you to take this land, that it is your manifest destiny to do so, then you know, 
so you kill a few people along the way. It's it's, well, ju- it's justified right here. That's how they they categorized them as heathens, savages. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they weren't Christians and particularly weren't white Christians was a big part of why it was so easy to dehumanize them. So Yahweh <clears throat> taking care of business. <laughs> yeah. Except for with the Jebusites. You can't you can't seem to clear Jerusalem of those Jebusites, man. <laughs> nope. I don't know what was up with that. Like, did it say but... why? Did it say why they couldn't clear no. it out? Well, I didn't catch it if it did. It was in Joshua fifteen sixty three. And it just says, as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah, could not drive them out. Yeah. I mean, you know, the book kind of, like, goes against itself in that. Because occasionally it'll have this really unqualified, super victorious, we took all of the lands and no one could withstand us kind of language. That shows up a couple of times in Joshua. And then uh, in other chapters it'll just say, oh yeah, they're still here. <laughs> it's like, hey, which, which one was it? Either no one could stand before you or they're still here. Yeah, it can't be both. Uh, Maybe that guy was right, saying that they were just uh, um, a little over the top with their words. They're just being hyperbolic about it. Yeah, uh, we killed yeah. everyone. Um, I, what about? I think, sorry, Paul. I was sorry. We can continue on this topic. No, I was no, just no, trying to remember <laughs> the uh, the kings that they stuck in a cave. We skipped over that. Damn it! I believe that was in chapter ten. I don't think chronology matters that much. As long as we don't... Yeah, it's all in the book of Joshua. As long as we don't miss anything. Right. Where they were fighting, and I guess the kings fled into... It was right after the long... Into a cave or something? Right, they fled into a cave, and then they put a rock over it, and then went and killed everybody, and then came back later to to finish them off. I guess. (laughs) Which is kind of... That's a good story. Yeah. Put your feet upon the necks of these kings. Yes. Oh, I love that language. I gotta say, it's it's pure poetry. For what? For not for just living where they want to live. Right. Well, but it's it's been promised to someone else. That's such BS. Yeah, and and it's um, it's not exactly gone away either. There's a there's an open debate among some of the. The fairly radical clerics in Israel, uh, I should mention the, the Hebrew clerics, um, uh, uh, whether the Palestinian people should be viewed as the modern Amalek. I'm not making this up. It's on Haaretz. Not- you, can, you can look it up yourself. I believe. Wow. Yeah. So, is Amalek still with us? Uh, as Hitchens would say. Wow. Like I said, man, uh, once you put it in the holy book, anyone can justify any damn thing they want. <laughs> I want this land. Speaking of land, did you catch in in chapter yeah. seventeen? They're giving out inheritance at this point and dividing the the lands. In seventeen fifteen, they're talking about the land and they're trying to divide it out. And they say, "Oh, we're a great people and we need more land or whatever." And he comes back with this snappy remark where he's like, "If you guys are so great, then." <laughs> Why don't you go up in the wooded country and cut down trees and yeah. cut those yeah. Biblical it's sarcasm. Right. <laughs> or there it is. It's in 1715 where Joshua answers them. And if thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. 
I thought that was kind of funny. There's a little bit of sarcasm in there. Snappy biblical comebacks. We could do a whole class just on those. <laughs> nice to see people using their words for once. <laughs> for once, he doesn't just whip out the edge of the sword and say, <laughs> It's good to know that Josh was versatile like that. <laughs> right. He could zing you one way and slice you the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you think that land was bad because they were too scared of the giants? Right. Well, that there's was... a lot of yeah. There's a lot of talk about giants and uh, it's weird. It just kind of sneaks in there. And you're like, what? What is this? What is this giant thing? Well, evidently, it was just common knowledge that giants lived in the <laughs> land back then. Sure. Okay. It was yeah. It was in the book of what, what's that book called, Paul? Yes, you. But you do get the sense like it was common knowledge. Like, oh yeah, giants in the land. Yeah, that's just how it was. <laughs> there's one character I want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet. Achan. I can't say it because we can't understand you. My throat is too sore. A C H A N. He was aching in my head. <laughs> well, I could tell you after he got hit with all those stones, he was aching. All right. Because he was aching. That's right. <laughs> I like to make little puns with people's that, names. That, that is that's a good one. Okay, we'll call him aching from now on. <laughs> uh, I wonder if he got hit with any clay shards. And never mind. Sorry. That was just a sad story, man. That was terrible. Haven't we already read that it's not okay to punish people's children for the crimes of the fathers? Haven't we seen that already? They do that a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they do. And in this case, they, they say, hey, you, know, you kept some of, this, uh, some of this stuff that was supposed to be given to the Lord. You know, you kept some silver and some gold uh, from, from the city of Jericho. So what we're going to do is we're going to take you and stone you to death. And then uh, your wives and children. Yeah. Stone them all to death. That's not cool. And while some people have tried to read around that, some rabbis have tried to say, well, the wives and children just had to watch. It's like, yeah, nice try. <laughs> That's not what the text says. <laughs> There's always that one asshole, though. Like, this guy shows up in all the... You know, um, the one guy who who pisses off the dragon because he steals a cup, right? That's from, in Beowulf. Um, there's always one guy who tries to take something and ends up getting everybody in trouble. Yeah, yeah, like in in Indiana Jones. So, so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a trope, I guess. It is, yeah, it is. It's a bit of a mythical trope, and it's sort of an, uh, is it etiological myth? Uh, with the folk etymology there, describing the the place name, Echor, is the the name of the valley. But but anyway, I... I'm almost certain that we've already read to this point in the Bible that it's not okay to punish the children for the sins of the fathers. Paul, do you, do you remember that? Please tell me someone remembers that. Yeah, I do. I think it was in the first part of Deuteronomy. Yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, it was in Deuteronomy. And uh, and now we, we see, well, apparently Joshua hadn't read that part of Deuteronomy. <laughs> so... He's so busy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, and there's another part of the story that I, I have to mention that's just weird as hell. Uh, they cast lots to decide whose fault it was. I mean, they do eventually. <laughs> yes. they, do, they do eventually find out that it was indeed this guy. They, he they confesses. Find, he confesses, he? and they find evidence. So okay. okay, great. They know it was really him. But before that happens, they they use cleromancy to figure out who's guilty. How superstitious is that? To think that you can like cast lots and that'll tell you who's guilty. That's uh. Again, I have to emphasize this. I, have, I probably mention this once every show. 
the two competing hypotheses here are God wrote this book or a bunch of ancient superstitious people wrote this book. Any mention of claromancy as an effective technique weighs heavily in favor of one of those two hypotheses. But the Lord was guiding it. Yeah, the Lord guides the lots. That's actually, they actually yeah. say that the Lord was guiding it in the text, don't they? That, yeah. That they cast lots that's before the can, Lord. So they got right in front of the that's Lord. That's why they can make important lots. decisions with it. That's right. You just let God pick. Like, you set it up so that God's answer is very clear. It's like trial by combat. Yeah. yeah it's like that, in that it's completely unjust and ridiculous and superstitious and primitive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, my God. It's not happening. Ugh. Yeah, so that's the only other uh, note I want to talk about. I want to talk about... They killed off Josh's character pretty fast, huh? Yeah, he only lost a lot more One play. book. <laughs> yeah. Well, Moses did get a lot more play. I read something earlier that mentioned the narrative continuity there that this book starts with after the death of Moses and and Judges starts with after the death of Joshua. So um, I'm confused. When Joshua was giving his uh, farewell speech, these people still have their own little go- strange gods that are amongst them. After all the things that God has done and they've witnessed, why would they have no god? Why would they have these strange gods still? Possibly because they didn't actually witness them. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was all a story. Uh, are you saying that the author didn't? Um, what's the term? Uh, I don't know. If there's not. A no, we brought of... it up before. I just think it's weird. Like if this is all happening, then good lord, I would not be having some stupid golden idol if God's guiding my path all the way through the wilderness, you know, and give me all these Jericho. If I just saw walls collapse on themselves because some horns blew. I think I threw away my my, uh, my little god, my little pocket god. Uh, <laughs> he did pocket a god, didn't he? Or that That's one of the explanations <laughs> of what happened to Akan, that he had actually, not, not just, not only had he taken precious metals, but he'd taken a, a, an, idol, an idol, a figurine. Yeah. Like a, a, yeah. I didn't catch that from the text itself, but I hear that's one of the rabbinical overlays on it. I'm just trying to make pocket god a euphemism in my head now. Sorry, I'm going <laughs> to be gone for a minute thinking about that. I like that you worked pocket god in there because it's one of my favorite games. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, i got to go watch Top Chef, so are we done? Uh, well, it depends. Do you have anything else you want to cover? I'm guessing you don't. I just wanted to talk about the prostitute, really, so I feel like I accomplished <laughs> She's the most empowered woman we've seen in the Bible so far. She's, yeah, she does all right. I would agree with that. She kicks ass. Yeah, she's she does Yeah, she's, she knows what's going on. And I'm sure they didn't take it out on her in trade, because that would be wrong. Like genocide. Right. Yeah, have a good night. You too. Good night. Enjoy your TV. Good night. Night, guys. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, I am going to go watch some Thunder. Yeah. Finish off the game. Fun. On behalf of the weekly inebriated scripture exegesis and source study, this is Damien. This is Paul. And this is Chaz. Have a good night. Yeah. <laughs> the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast is produced by the Oklahoma Atheists. 
The mission of the Oklahoma Atheists is to develop a community of individuals and families who value and promote critical thinking, free thought, reason, and a scientific worldview, and who seek to have a positive effect on the community at large through fellowship, rational discussion, community service, and education. For more information, please visit our website at www.oklahomaatheist.com.